0: Well, I, I would invite you to turn your Bibles uh, to Romans chapter three, and we're in the series. If you're new here to Grace, uh, called People of the Gospel, going through uh, Romans one through eight. We'll eventually get to Romans nine through sixteen, but that's going to be a a later series. But I, I want to give you just a little uh, context uh, before I share today. If if you weren't here last week, uh, la- last week we were breaking down this this big term justification, what it means why it matters. And and we wanted to to make sure that we understand this because every religion in in the world has this this take on which we come to God with a list of everything we've done. And so we give him this list of, of our righteousness and we're like, here, accept me. Look at my performance. See what I've done? And yet what, what Paul has done here in Romans chapter 3 is he's writing, he's actually raising the bar and saying, it's not just a good righteousness that we need. We, we need a perfect righteousness, which takes it to a whole new level because anybody in here is perfect. I'm looking around. Um, yeah, I you know, I didn't even see like a you know a husband turned to white. You missed a moment, husband. You could say, oh yeah, I could, I could raise, you know, you could be you. Uh, But no, we know this. Nobody here is is perfect. What we looked at is that Christianity turns things upside down and it's no longer our performance performance record. It's something else. And so I want to go back to Romans chapter three. Let's pick up our reading here at, at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. You get that? It's not our righteousness. Righteousness of God. It's been manifested apart from the law Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned. I, I just circled that word all in there, just to make sure we we get that, right? It's not like, well, you've sinned. No, all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a, big word alert, propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, I want, I want to pause here just for a second. And by the way, just leave your Bibles open because we're going, we're going to come back to, to Romans chapter three. But I, I want to make sure that we understand that what we've just seen in just these verses that I read, we're not saved through our performance, right? We're saved by grace through faith in what? In our work? No, in Christ's work. Right? Okay. Can we all, let's just start there. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ's work. And when I say faith, I don't like just talking about a general faith in that, yeah, we believe that Jesus died on the cross. Now, I'm talking about a specific faith in the fact that, that Christ did it for me, that, it's, that it's, it's good enough for me. It's complete enough for me. It's really my only hope. And, and so we're going to talk about this faith that we have in the blood of Jesus Christ and what that means. And so if you're like new to church and you, you maybe never been to church or you're new to the whole thing, when, when we talk about blood, you're like, is this like a cult? What are we getting ourselves into? So I want you to listen to me. It's very, very important. Because we talk about the blood of Jesus Christ. We sing about the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and, and it's really easy, if, even for people that have been in the church, like your mama gave birth to you in a Sunday school room or whatever. I mean, like you have been in church forever. It's really easy for us to just just say these religious sounding phrases and we don't even know what they mean. I want to talk about this. So, so today I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to preach an old-fashioned message this morning, all right? And I'm going to use some old-fashioned words that we don't use a lot. Like, we're going to talk about words, you're like, I don't even know what that word means. Well, hey, Congratulations, you showed up. We're gonna walk away, at least knowing what some words mean. But I want us to make, I want to make sure that, that we understand the significance of this. We must understand the gospel if we can truly become people of the gospel. And so there the are three words. In fact, you've you taken notes and you whether it's on your app or you got the sermon guide. The, the first question is gonna be answered by by this 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 first word I want to break down. The first question is is this: what what do I need? What what do we need? And the answer to that is this word: We need redemption. We need redemption. And so let me explain let me just set this up. I think I've shared this before, but anyway, it's the best illustration I can think of in my experience. When I graduated from high school, 1993, the fall of 1993, I started college at Indiana University. And I remember my, my first day of classes. Um, I was on my way to class, and there was a guy, it was like a pop-up tent, and a guy shouted at me as I was walking. He's like, hey, bro, would you like a free t-shirt? I'm like, what? College, man. You get, they're like giving away free t-shirts. This is amazing. I'm like, yeah, I want a free t-shirt. So I walk over to the tent, and, and he's like, yeah, man. we're giving away free t-shirts. You like it? Yeah, I like one." He's like, all you got to do is Fill out this application for a discover card and I'm gonna give you a free t-shirt. And I'm like, dude, I'd never had a credit card. I don't need a credit card, but I'm like, I want a free t-shirt. So I fill out the application and, and turned it in, get me a free t-shirt. I'm not honestly, I forget all about the fact I filled out an application. I'm like, yeah, I got a free t-shirt. This is great, you know? And so two weeks later, things took longer back then. They I get this envelope and, and in it is my very first credit card. I look at it, and I'm like, eh, I got, I got a T-shirt. I, I don't need this. I just stuck in my wallet and literally forgot about it. Didn't even think about it. Never used it. And I remember uh, there was one day, I was between paychecks, and um, I pulled in to get gas, and gas was really expensive. It was like 98 cents a gallon or something like that. <laughs> and and I, I pulled in, and uh, that, they had just installed at the pump these card readers. And I'm like, huh, you know what? I'm going to use this card. I've just I've never done it before. So I took it out and plugged it in, you know, got my 1231 worth of gas that filled up my Honda Civic. And uh and, and then, you know, didn't think anything of it. My at the end of the end of the month, you know, you get your statement. I got my statement I'm like, "Ah, oh, you know, 1231, wrote a check, sent it in, and uh yeah, it was great." Honestly, I I'm trying to think I don't think for the next several months I'd use the card at all. I just wanted to try it out and I'd use it. So about two, it was, it was two years after, uh, after I got the card, I actually moved, I transferred from my, my school there in Indiana, transferred to Cincinnati, moved to Cincinnati. Now, here's the deal. I wasn't, because at IU, I was driving back and forth from home, uh, commuting. I moved to Cincinnati. Mom, mom, you know, staying in the dorm and that sort of thing. And I remember uh, because of my schedule, I, I wasn't able to work as much and wasn't getting hours, wouldn't make a lot of money. And one day, it was my freshman year, uh, a buddy of mine said, hey, a bunch of us guys, actually, I remember when it was, it was on Valentine's Day, he said, a bunch of us guys that don't have dates are going out to Outbacks. So I was one of those guys, and I'm like, hey, let's go. You know, my girlfriend at the time was working, so I go to Outback with these guys. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm just gonna get like an awesome blossom or whatever they call those things. And you know, like, because at that time it was like five bucks and and I was gonna get a glass of water and I'm good. But then we got there and all the guys are like ordering steaks and stuff. And I'm like, I got a Discover card. I ordered a steak use my Discover card, and I'm like, that was pretty easy. And so actually over that month, there were about four or five times I went out to eat and used my Discover card. And I forgot that at the end of the month, you get that statement in the mail. And I remember, I check my mail, and I get this statement, and then everything hits, because I look at a total on that bill, and I'm like, I can't pay this. And I'm not going to ask by a show of hands, how many of you find yourselves in debt like credit card debt, because that's like, that's like asking, you know, a FEMA, how much do you weigh? I mean, you just don't, there's some <laughs> questions you do not ask, right? But the reality is probably there's some of you that you've been there, <laughs> maybe you're there, you're, you get to like, are you kidding me right now? I remember I'm like, I can't pay this. And so I did the responsible thing that you should do when something like that happens, and I threw the statement away, because I'm like, eh, out of mind, <laughs> I'm not going to have to worry about it. Didn't use my car next, next month, statement, except it was like it's a little more money. And then, like, the third uh, month, it's definitely a lot more money. I'm like, I'm starting to get panicked. And then, like, the fourth month, they, they sent me this statement that m- led me to believe that there were people with baseball bats that were coming to take me out. If I did not pay the minimum payment, I was going to be thrown in jail. And it, it, it created enough angst that we didn't have cell phones that day. We had a pay phone in the dorm, and I, I, I called my dad collect. I love that. I uh, called my dad collect. Don't ever call your dad collect to ask this question. Um, dad, I've screwed up. I used a credit card. He didn't you know I had a credit card. He's like, you what? He probably wanted to call me Nate. He didn't. I said, Dad, man, I got this but I can't. Pan, I remember my dad saying uh, to me, so what's your plan? And I'm like, I don't have a plan. That's, I, I have no way to pay this bill. I remember the phone went silent. I'm like, Dad, you still there? And, and finally he's like, Okay. Here's what I'm going to so do. He said, I'm, I'm going to do this one time. He said, I'm going to pay this debt. He said, but what I want you to do as soon as we get off the phone is I want you to get scissors and I want you to cut up that credit card and you're going to put it in an envelope and you're going to mail it to me. And I'm like, praise God, I hate that stupid thing anyway. Let's do this. And so I got off the phone. I took. I filled my end of the bargain. I, I cut up the credit card, put it in the envelope and mailed it to my dad. My dad called Discover, and he paid a debt that was not his. And here's the thing, man. I got off the phone, and I was flying high. <laughs> Listen, hoo I, I, like Listen, our, our school food at that time was terrible. Like in the cafeteria, I'm like, it, like, the chicken would glow green, like radioactive. I'm like, dude, I don't care. I will eat radioactive chicken, man. I am free from that. Come on. It was good, you know. I never wanted to have that feeling that I had when I got that statement in the mail and I saw that thanks to stupid decisions on my part that I owed a debt I could not pay. Now, some of you have got that statement in the mail, right? And it might not even be like credit card. Maybe it was a medical thing or whatever. You get that statement and it's, it's man, it's not even just a helpless feeling. It's almost a hopeless feeling. There is absolutely no way I'm going to be able to pay this back. Now, I want us to, to take this illustration, and I want us to think about that as we, as we break down redemption. Actually, i want to be coming back to this throughout the message. Because in, in the Bible, there was, there was no such thing as, like, for instance, you, know, you can declare bankruptcy. There was no such thing as bankruptcy. If you you were in debt to someone, you were enslaved to them. And so like in Proverbs where it says that the borrower is slave to the lender, it's not like Solomon's writing, he's just using an analogy. No, literally, here's what would happen. If you had to borrow money from someone and you could not pay it back, you lost whatever you had. It had to immediately go to the debt. If you had land, you lost the land until the debt was paid. In fact, maybe you farmed the land, you farmed for them. You didn't, you didn't get to enjoy the produce. The produce went to them. And many times they would you would become enslaved. And so it's interesting because in the Mosaic Law, if you go back to, to the Old Testament law in Leviticus 25, 25, there was actually provision made for someone who was indebted. And, and and probably this would be exercise for people who were indebted due to crises because emergencies happen, crises happens, all of those things. But, in, but in, uh, in, in Leviticus 25, 25, there is provision for a redeemer. And, and we see introduced here this whole idea of a, it's, it's a phrase called kinsman redeemer. And so there were three characteristics of a kinsman redeemer. Number one, they had to be of the same flesh and blood or, or relative. The, the, the person, just because the, the, they were uh, related to you, didn't necessarily have to have to pay the debt. So, for, for example, like if I would have called my dad and, and he said, hey, tough, figure it out, bro. It's, you know, it's, it's your debt. He had every right to do it because it wasn't his debt. And so a kinsman, a redeemer, just because they were related to a person, didn't mean they had to pay the debt. But... Though they weren't compelled to, a kinsman redeemer out of love and grace could pay the debt. But here here was the third characteristic. You couldn't just buy back some of the freedom. You had to pay the entire debt. The kinsman redeemer, it was an act of love, an act of grace, in which they would pay the debt in full by bearing the cost themselves. so I want to make sure that we understand redemption. To redeem very simply means this. To redeem is to buy back or liberate. To redeem is to buy back or liberate. And so so here we have in Scripture, we have this whole idea of a a kinsman redeemer. This is what, you know, this is someone who can pay a debt. My dad, in essence, if I could use that as an example, became my kinsman redeemer. Now I want us to look at what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 3. He's he's saying that we all need redemption, We're, we're all enslaved in some way. And so, so what this mean? If, if we need to be redeemed, it means that we are enslaved to something. So what do we need to be redeemed from? Well, first of all, the first thing that we need to be redeemed from is shame, guilt and the law. Now we're going to see later that the law is good, but the law reveals the standard that we can't measure up to. You know, in Acts chapter 15. You know, they're, they're having this big church squabble over whether, you know, Gentiles can be Christians and they can be part of the family if they, you know, if they're not circumcised. And, and, and Peter stands up and, and he's like, why are we trying to yoke, put, put a burden on them that neither us nor our, our fathers could bear? That, because that's what the law is. It's like this, this really high standard and we can't meet it. So, so we're enslaved to this idea that we're not measuring up and so we feel inadequate, we feel guilty, we're, we're not meeting the standard. Now, now, we can probably all admit that we live today in a culture that does not like to admit to guilt on an intellectual level. And, and so because of that, we actually redefine truth so that it fits and it, it, just, it, it gets rid of my liability. Well, here's the deal. You can, you can move truth around. Truth is truth, right? Like, like, for instance, you're like, I don't believe in gravity. Great. I, hey, feel free to have that belief. It doesn't make the fact that you don't believe in it any less true that there is such a thing as gravity. Because, like, when I mean, you walk up to the top of your house and you jump off, you're not going to fly. You're going to plummet. And the reason I know this, I did that when I was like seven. I'm like, I think I could fly. And I can't. There is a law of gravity. So whether or not you think that gravity exists, it does not matter. Truth is truth. But yet what we do is we like to fudge things around and like truth is relative. My truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. And, and we're cool with that as long as they don't coincide. I'm like, well, what happens when my truth and your truth collide? Well, you know, who's right then? Okay, so but what we do, we, we, we like to, to, you know, adjust things. But all the while, there is this nagging sense of condemnation. And so that's why we we try really hard to escape this, to prove to ourselves and to everyone else, I'm really not as bad as what this nagging thing in the back of my mind is is telling me. I I don't want to admit that I'm jacked up. And so, so even though we say we're free from this, man, we work really hard. We become workaholics. We're obsessed with appearances, you know, like, get that perfect Instagram shot so it looks like I got my life together. We feel the need to promote ourselves, to prove ourselves, to, to uh, escape, man, this, just this weird sense of I'm not measuring up and I don't like it. We, we, try to, we, we try to create this sense of truth and all the while the guilt is there. Whether Even if we don't, we want to deny it, we don't acknowledge it, it's there. And even if we don't always see it and we, refuse, we put blinders on, it's still there. You know, I remember a few years ago, uh, we, we noticed there was something weird in our, in our laundry room. Like the floor, there was like, it was kind of, it was kind of soft. And I'm like, why? It's almost like we have a leak or something. But man, we didn't see anything. And I'm like, so I pulled the washer back and there's a massive, I have no idea how long there's been a leak uh, there in, in, our, uh, in the laundry room. And, and so, it probably. In fact, it literally. They, they came in and ch- it was a little pinhole. Something had happened. It was a little pinhole in a pipe, and it had just been a slow leak. But but it, it had created a, ma- a massive damage. You had replaced the, the floor and all of that. All, all of that sort of thing. Here's the funny thing. How long's there? Weeks, months. I never knew it was there. It was it was hidden. But as soon as you pulled back the washer. You saw the damage. Can I tell you, this is, this is what I'm talking about this morning. When I say that what we need is redemption, we, we have to be redeemed from the guilt, the, the shame, and the law. Even if we don't see it, it's there. It's causing damage. Whether or not we know what it's coming from, the damage is still there. But, but, but when I talk about we, we need to be redeemed from this, we also need to be redeemed from something else. We need to be redeemed from our slave masters. You're like, okay, okay that's kind of weird. <laughs> I don't have a slave master. Guarantee you a lot of us do. All right? I'll guarantee you a lot of us have slave masters. When I talk about this, these are the things that are driving us our career, money. I, I, I I gotta have respect. I gotta, man, I've gotta have a relationship. I've gotta, man, I've gotta have validation, comfort. Man, if we're looking at these things, As our significant security, they're a slave master. Now, in and of themselves, nothing wrong with money. Nothing wrong with getting a promotion. Nothing wrong with being in a relationship. Those are all good things. When we, however, see them and view them as they have to be, that's what validates us, that's what gives us worth, that thing has become a master because here's what a slave master is. It's someone or something that has no boundaries and beats you up if you fail. They can do anything they want to do to you, and they will do it. You know how you know whether or not something's a slave master? Is if you can't say no to it. If you can't ever say no to family, slave master. If you can't say no to this, you can't say no when it comes to a position. When you can't say no, It's something that owns you. When you can't walk away, you have to have it. When it has become your significance, it's become your security, your very self, your identity, you have a slave master. And here's what slave masters do. You don't live up to the standard, they beat you. What I mean by that, not physically, but you feel the shame. You feel the condemnation. It's what generate, generates the self-loathing, self-hatred. And so what we see here is you and I, we just don't need freedom from our debt. We need to be redeemed also from our slave masters. Paul's saying we need to be redeemed from the law. And this is, this is why this is so significant. Look at verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person in here, every person in this room falls short of the glory of God. Sinners, that's what we are. I just don't, I don't like, no, hey, we've all sinned. But I love the fact that he goes on to verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So second big word alert, okay, let's just, let's hit this. What does Jesus do for us? He becomes our propitiation. Okay, so I use that word, and you're like, like nobody used that this week. Like, you weren't talking, I was like, man, I want to I really appreciate what you've done become my propitiation. I mean, hey, could you propitiate that for me? I mean, nobody's, like, going around just throwing out that word. Like, nobody in, you know, like, hashtag propitiation. You didn't do that. Like, right now, something's like, I'm going to do it just to do it. You know, but, like. You'll you'll probably do like, Instagram will tell you how many people have used it. Like, there's like two people. They're both like reformed somewhere. They're over here doing that. They've used, they know they're smart. You don't, we don't use that. But but it's, this is a very, very important concept. And I want us to understand what, what this means. What, when I, when I I talk about Jesus became our propitiation, what this means is that Jesus paid the debt to justice himself. Okay. What this means is that Jesus paid the debt to justice himself. Justice isn't just about rights. Justice is also about responsibilities. There's two sides to the coin of justice. And what we we don't like to talk about is that God has wrath against injustice. God has anger for sin. You see, God's justice is a lot higher than our justice. Like, like, when we feel like we're justified to be mad at somebody, normally we'll still kind of shade our part of, of our role in all of that. It's like, they're the bad guy. I mean, they're just terrible. And maybe they, they have wronged you. But a lot of times we always, like, tuck away, you know, what, our part of this. But, but here's the thing. Christ is perfect. He, our God is perfect. He's perfect in all his ways. He is perfect in his righteousness. He is perfect in his justice. We excuse our sin and maximize everybody else's sin. We excuse our sin. God doesn't, God doesn't excuse our sin. You're like, well, man, if he's God, he's, a, he's God of love, he's God of grace and all that. No, no, God is just. And the reason Jesus had to die was to demonstrate justice, to do justice, to deal with justice, because if God is perfectly just and he says this is the, you know, this is the, the penalty for sin and he lets it slide by, all he is is a bad parent. Like, I mean, can, Okay, so parents, you tell your kids, okay, curfew's 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock tonight. Got to be home by 10 o'clock. They slide in at 11 o'clock, and you're like, I told you the curfew is at 10 o'clock. It's ten o'clock. Don't you ever do that again. All right. Next week, it's 10 o'clock. They come in at 1130. I told you that it's 10 o'clock. Do you understand what you're doing? Listen, man. If there's no penalty, if it's going to be midnight. They don't care because you you don't you you don't care enough about your kids to enforce what you say your, your standard is. Hello, that's a whole new message. I want to go down that road, and I'm going to just stay away from that just for a second. But, but 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 what I'm saying is, if if God's just, he 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 can't say it doesn't matter. He can't say, oh, I'm just going to let you off the hook. Oh yeah, you're good. I like you, and so I'm just going to let you off the hook. No. And Now, I understand when we talk about the wrath of God, everybody's like, I don't like the whole thing of angry God. That kind of freaks me out. Like, I mean, nobody's buying coffee mugs with the wrath of God. And you're like, I just want to start my day off by reading the Bible and reminding myself of the wrath of God. I mean, you're not doing that. Like, you go to Hobby Lobby, guarantee you there's no home decor that has verses about the wrath of God. Like, nobody's hanging that up in their living room. And so what I think we'd like to do is we like try to hide from unbelievers maybe, like we're scared, like, man, I just hope that they never ask the question, like, why did God wipe out the Midianites or whatever? Like, that's just jacked I don't know how to, I don't, let's stress love and goodness and, and like kind of minimize the whole wrath thing. But hold on a second. We do a disservice if we pit the love and goodness of God against the justice and wrath of God. Because you actually can't have one without the other. Can we all admit that it's the love and goodness of God that makes him angry at injustice? I mean, think about it. I remember a few years ago, I had a buddy of mine that was making terrible decisions, like what was going to wreck his life, his family's life. This was going to be like generational stuff. And I remember he was unrepentant. And I remember grabbing his shoulders. And I don't know that I shook him really hard, but shaking him a little, at least a little bit, I raised my voice. And I'm man, don't you understand what you're doing? You are getting ready to mess your life up. You're, this is generational impact that you're doing here. You've got to stop. Can't you see what you're doing, dude? You, you'd look at it, I was like, man, you must hate your friend because you're so angry. You're so m-. no, we get it in that context. The reason I was angry was not because I hated my friend, I was angry at what he was doing that was going to harm him, hurt him, what it was going to do for generations, how it was going to impact the family. You gotta understand, this is the, when we talk about the wrath of God, this is what we're talking about. God hates sin. His, man, can we understand that anger is not the opposite of love? Hate is the opposite of love. I like what Timothy Keller said, He said, the reason God is so angry at the sin and evil that's destroying the human race that he loves and made, that's destroying the world he loves and made, the reason he's so angry is because he's so filled with love and goodness. If he wasn't filled with love and goodness, he wouldn't care. Church, God cares. God is love, but God is also just. And so what we see here, the reason why this word propitiation is so important is it means that justice has to be satisfied. And the reason we sing songs about the blood of Christ, the reason we talk about it, it's not just a religious phrase, Jesus Christ paid. And I want to go back to my story about the whole credit card thing. There was a debt that I owed. I could not will it away. I can throw away the statements all day. It does not matter. The debt's still there. I'm like, well, it's not fair. It's not fair. It doesn't matter what I said, what I called it, what I did with it. The reality was there is a debt that has to be paid in church. This is why the cross is important. Don't wear a cross around your neck just so you can say, I identify with Christ. What's the cross stand for? He satisfied the demands of justice himself. He took the nails for you and me. It was God's way of paying off the debt to his own justice. You're like, why couldn't God just let it go? It's verse 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, he's perfectly just, but he could also be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus and I know the Trinity, man, it's just hard to grapple with, you know, how, you know, the whole three in one, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's, it's hard to wrap our minds around this, but I will say it's very helpful to explaining what took place when it comes to propitiation. God himself, as Jesus Christ, hung on the cross and paid the debt our debt, your debt, my debt, the debt that we owe—we all owed due to sin. He literally, he as he, he, he hung, he, he he did it. For you. He he didn't demand your child's death. He didn't demand your death, your blood, generation. No, literally, he did it for us, and he did it once and for all. Jesus became the propitiation. He fully satisfied the death. Uh, through his death, the debt that was owed due to our sins. The bill is paid in full. So what does that mean for us? This is where I want to close this morning. It's a demonstration of who God really is. And this is very important. It's a demonstration of who God really is. The incredible atonement, of Jesus Christ, the redemption of Christ. He's hanging there on the cross. He's satisfying the wrath of God for us. It was a legal transaction, but more than that, it was also a public demonstration. And I, you know, last week we talked about justification. We talked about that there's something powerful. It, it changes our status. It bestows on us, the, you know, the, these rights and everything. But, but I want to get this. The cross was intended to do more As powerful as it is, it was intended to do more than just change our status to justify us. The cross was also intended to change our hearts. Literally, change who we are. Not not just change our status through a legal transaction, but to change our hearts by showing us who God really is. Who is he? Well, we just read it just a few few minutes ago. God is both just and the justifier. Here's, here's, Here's the catch. Of those who believe. Of those who believe. Now, I want to come back to this whole idea of kinsman redeemer. And to do so, i got to really quickly, I'm going to give you a 30,000-foot overview real going and go back to this little book in the Old Testament, the Book of Ruth. Anybody heard of the Book of Ruth? Right? It's, it's like one of the most underrated books of Scripture, a ton of drama that's, that's, that's in here. And so, so here, here's the deal. There, there was a family from Bethlehem, a good Israelite family from Bethlehem. They, Bethlehem, by the way, means house of bread ironically, there's a famine going on. There's no bread in the house of bread. They leave and they go to the country of Moab. They're, you know, trying to, to escape. So they're refugees in this other country. They have to find work. They're just scratching by, try, trying to make it. Well, long story short, there's a little Moabite girl by the name of Ruth that falls in love and marries the, the, one of the sons of this family. Really sweet, romantic, all that sort of thing, right? Well, Terrible part of this is that a plague uh, wipes out. It just comes to uh, kills the the, hus- the the father and three sons, leaving Ruth a widow. Her her mother-in-law Naomi was a widow as well. Naomi doesn't have anything, and she's like, you know what? I'm just going to get back to Israel because at least there I have family. She tells Ruth, "I want you to stay here, man. You know this is your family and all that sort of thing. I've got I've got to go back." and you know, you've probably maybe heard this at weddings or whatever. Ruth gives us some passion speech. Don't urge me to stay. And she says, you know, where you go, I'll go. Uh, you know, your people become my people. Your God will become my God. It's just, you know, we've probably heard that in other places. Well, it comes from the book of Ruth. So here's the thing. They go back to Bethlehem. She might have family there, but I mean, what, whatever land they had, it's gone because they couldn't pay their debts. And so they have absolutely nothing. And so Ruth is forced to go to field, and, and what you know again, the Old Testament law. God is all about taking care of the poor, and and so there was a there. Uh, every farmer knew that there was a, an allowance for the poor. You, would, you wouldn't glean around the edges, but you would leave that for the poor to come in so they could, they could have, uh, you know, have some food. And so she goes to the field of a guy by the name of Boaz, and she's doing what the poor people do. Listen, if there's anybody that's susceptible to abuse, it's Ruth, because she's a Moabite, she's not a Jew, and she has nothing to her name. And yet, Boaz notices her. He's like, who's that girl? Oh, you know, she, she recently moved back to Bethlehem with Naomi. And he's like, you know what? Take care of her. Don't, do, not, do not abuse that girl. In fact, make sure that, that she's taken care of, that she has plenty of grain. Well, man, it's like she gets a haul. She goes home. Naomi's like, where'd this come from? She explains the situation. And Naomi is like, where were you? She's like, It's in the field of a guy by the name of Boaz. And he told me to to not go to another field, but if I'll come to his field, that he'll take care of me. He'll make sure I have food, that I won't be abused. Naomi exclaims, he's the kinsman redeemer of our family. This is amazing. And so she and Ruth get their heads together and come up with this bold plot. And when I say bold plot, I'm like, bold plot. (laughs) Like okay, here's how bold it was. Boaz wakes up the next morning, and at his feet is the form of somebody. And he's like, "They weren't there when I went to bed." Like, like I don't like anybody coming by. Like, like if, if you ever had the kid walk in your room in the middle of the night and they just stand, and you wake up, and there's just like eyes. It's like ah, you know, it's just it's terrible. So, so he wakes up, there's this huddled form there and he, he's startled, he, he cries out, who is it? And then he recognizes this is Ruth. Here's what Ruth says to him. This is bold. She goes back to this whole kinsman redeemer idea and she says, spread your garment over me. And in essence, she's called, she says, fulfill the role of a kinsman redeemer. In essence, she's saying, Marry me, redeem me, and pay our debt. Okay, this is crazy. Because thing, first of all, Boaz, he does meet the first qualification. He's, he's related to Naomi and by virtue, Ruth, because of this. So he's of the same flesh and blood. And here's what he, he looks down and he says, because you are my flesh and blood, in essence, he's saying, I'm going to do this voluntarily. I'm, I'm going to do this. I, he te- in essence, he tells her, I, I will buy back your land. I will pay the debt. I'll bear it myself. I'll buy back your land. I'm going to redeem your family. The rest of the story is, is pretty stinking amazing. He does it, because, but more than that, he doesn't just cover her debt. He marries Ruth. But get this, he loves Ruth. It's a powerful, powerful account. He didn't just cover dad. He doesn't just give her dad. He doesn't just give her a pardon. He gives her justification, if you will. He gives her a status. She is now the wife of a prosperous man. All that he has, all that, all that he is, it becomes hers. Instead of just covering her dad, he floods her life with love and honor, and you're like, oh, that's amazing. I wish I had a kinsman redeemer. That's amazing. Actually, we do. That's the whole point of what we're reading here in, in Romans chapter 3. Jesus is, is our kinsman redeemer. Well, what does Philippians 2 say? It says that he emptied himself of all that he had, all his deity, and he became like us. He became the same flesh and blood. He became one of us. What was it that was he compelled to come here? Like, hey, Jesus, you're, sorry, man, nobody else, you got to go. No because God so loved the world, it was love that sent him here. He came here, and he didn't just pay money for our debt. He paid with his life. He bore the cost himself. And so what that means as we close is becoming a Christian is not saying, I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to work really hard, and I'm going to to present this righteous record. I'm going to show God how worthy I am of him. I'm going to to come to church every time the doors are open. I'm going to keep every one of the Ten Commandments. No, what it means to be a Christian is to do what Ruth did, to, in essence, say, spread your garment over me. Be my redeemer. And here is the incredible news I get to share with you on this Memorial Day weekend. Jesus will do that. He will do that. And he won't just pardon you. He won't just cover your debt. I I want us to understand this. He unites with us. All that he has, he gives us. 2 Peter 1, he has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. This is what he does for us. He gives us everything he has. Everything that he has becomes ours. What, what this is, it's a demonstration. And what is, what is demonstrated is that he is both just and the justifier. But here's the, here's the caveat, the qualification. For those who believe. We have to believe that he's enough. That his work is enough. And, and you know, it's weird because when we think about this, it's like my debt, I knew I could not pay it. The, the, it was It was... It was hard for me to pick up the phone and call my dad. It was the, when I say it was a call of shame, it was the call of shame. Because it wasn't his debt, and I knew that. It was my debt. And I think that, that, that many times the reason we don't let Jesus have it is they're like, you know what, I deserve this. I deserve, you know what, if divorce is going to happen, we've got issues in our marriage, I've, I screwed up. I deserve this. Yeah, you know, the consequences from, from this, I, I just, God's like, yeah, you deserve it, but give it to me, give it to me. I'm like, no, no, I, I can't, I can't let you have this. I, I deserve this, God, I'm ashamed. And God's like, give me your shame. No, you, I can't do this. I'm a, God, you, I know me, I've, t- I've made promises, I'll do it again. He's like, give it to me. God, I don't want to hurt you. Give it to me. Give it to me. And what it comes down to, church, is Jesus is all we got. He literally is. He really is. We can play games. We can play church games. We can pretend like it's some people are better than others. That's why they are where they are. And we're just always going to be the outsiders. But that's not, that's not it. It literally is becoming a person of the gospel and saying, I believe that Jesus did it, and I believe that Jesus did it for me. As we close, we're going to close the way we closed every uh, service in the series, and we're going to do this as long as we're in Romans. What we're going to do at the end of the, I'm going to pray. Today, if you're here, maybe the light went on. It was really cool. I was at a graduation this week, and I had a lady, she's in her 80s, come up to me, and she said, I can hardly get to church. She said, I don't attend your church, but I've been watching your services. And she said, for the very first time you said something and it's jumped out at me. And she said, for the first time, the light went on. I understood what justification is. So I'm so glad God's teaching me things at 80 years. I'm like, that's amazing. You know, maybe those of you today, the light came on. And so here's what I'm doing. I'm gonna pray. Maybe today it's, you've never, you've never understood that Christ paid. He did it for you. If you wanna commit your life to Christ, maybe recommit your life to Christ, I'm gonna pray for you to do that. And then at the end, man, I'm gonna have you stand and we're going to celebrate what God did. So, Father, I want to thank you for the incredible gift that you've given us through Jesus Christ. While I can wash away my sin, there is absolutely nothing that can do it but the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for paying a debt that I could not pay. And so, God, today I know that there are people here that maybe for the first time, it's just like the light went on. It's like, oh, my word, I get it. I get it. I get what you did. Lord, if that's the case. I'm praying that there would not be a resistance or holding on, but God, in this moment, there would be a surrender of saying, okay, now that I get it, I'm not gonna fight it. I'm, man, I'm gonna surrender. You paid what I could not pay. And God, I know that you can work a, do, do an incredible work and you can set somebody free for all eternity. And I wanna thank you for what you're doing as people commit their lives to you or recommit their lives to you. So Father, for what you've done, I thank you. For what you continue to do, I thank you. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said? Amen. All right, so the reason I have you stand is not to, like, embarrass anybody. The reason I have you stand is Romans 1, 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we celebrate what God has done. So today, if you are here and you committed your life to Christ or recommitted your life to Christ, I'm going to invite you to stand so we can just celebrate what God's done. Would you do that? If if today was, was a commitment, would you just stand? Now, we had a couple in the first service. Anybody here this morning? Just, you wanna, you wanna stand in response, they're gonna give us a chance to celebrate. Anybody, anybody, anybody? Uh huh. Can we celebrate what Christ did for us on the cross? We serve a Christ who paid the debt. He paid the debt for you, paid the debt for me. And so as we leave here today, I want you to celebrate Memorial Day, have a great barbecue, but don't forget that our freedom was bought with a cost. Thank God for for the soldiers who gave their all. But do not forget that your freedom, when it came to your freedom from sin, was bought with a price. Jesus Christ is your Redeemer. Go in confidence. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week.